I love it, man. Halloween, let's do it. We're filming on a Halloween day. I'm in uh, uh, Eugene, Oregon today. Oh, are you doing a show there? Yeah, I'm performing in Eugene this weekend. I'm doing um, uh, Thursday, Friday, Saturday this weekend in Eugene. And then on Sunday, I go to Seattle just to do that special uh, KISS show. Right. So the, the Oregon thing isn't a KISS one. Mm-mm. No, the Oregon thing is getting ready for a, a comedy special that I'm going to film. And um, I'm trying to get my material together uh, for that show. And then uh, and then Sunday is uh, – there's a couple things I got like that are in the mix. I'm, I'm getting ready to film a comedy special, um, doing a couple of Kiss-themed comedy shows, which is why I wanted to come on with you. Um, I'm doing these shows where beginning to end – all I'm going to do is just make fun of Kiss. And it's essentially what I do when I perform with Kiss on the Kiss Cruise. Every time I perform with Kiss on the Kiss Cruises, I always end up doing two one-hour shows all about Kiss, about all my run-ins with them, all the times that I, I just get scared around them, you know, and... um but I'm getting ahead of myself, so I'll let you drive. Go ahead, Howard. No, this is all good. So whenever you're, I mean, we're recording, but I could chop that part off or and just we could start now or whenever you want, whenever you're ready. Yeah, jump in. Let's do it. All right. Well, yeah, welcome, Craig Guest. Welcome back, I guess. You're like, yeah, one of my first guests. Amazing that you're uh, still coming back here after all these years. Yeah, man. We talked about uh, music and Seahawks because we both love the Seahawks. Yeah, music and, 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 and comedy, too. I love comedy. I'm a super fan of all that stuff, just like you. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm, a, I'm still a huge, huge fan of comedy. Every city that I go to, I usually hit up local open mic comedy shows. I love just being around people who want to be around comedy. So, yeah, and I, I love the fact that I can see my favorite comedians for free. That's amazing yeah. and work with them. So do you ever feel like that's like a because I feel like for me, it's kind of like a strength and a weakness being a super fan because I just get. Some people are like, oh, you're fanboying out too much. Do you ever feel like it, it it hurts you in some ways? For sure. I've I dude, that that first episode of Family Guy I ever did. Oh right. <laughs> I completely creeped out Seth McFarland, which was, you know, I go in and I'm working on the show and and I just all the TV shows I've been on, I've been really lucky. They're all huge TV shows. I, I just never watched. I never watched King of Queens until I was on it. I never watched Sex in the City until I was on it. But Family Guy, obsessed with Family Guy. So my first recording session, it's me and Seth MacFarlane. And um, the whole recording session lasted like maybe five minutes. And <laughs> I'm already coming off a little too strong when I walk in. I'm, I'm laughing too hard at his jokes. Because I remember one time him saying something mildly funny. And I went, <laughs> and he was like, relax, dude, just. Just calm down. Just we're going to record. It'll just take a minute. And it, it, the whole session was just Seth kept doing one line as Peter Griffin, where he kept saying, this is crazier than when Al Pacino was a slumlord laundromat tenant. <laughs> and they cut to me as Al Pacino surrounded by a bunch of broken down washers and dryers going. You're out of order. And you're out of order. And you're all out of order. We do that three times. And then Seth MacFarlane running the board, he goes, all right, man, I think we're good to go. But I'm so nervous because I think we're going to be friends now that I go, <laughs> all right, so uh, you want to hang out? or?" Uh, and he goes, 
what, what do you mean hang out? And I go, you want to grab a coffee or something? And he goes, I got to go. And I said, oh, okay. Do you want me to leave? And he goes, yeah, get the fuck out of here. <laughs> it's like, oh, shit. <laughs> grab my papers. He's like, I got to work. I got to work. And I was like, oh, okay, yeah, yeah. And then I, I grab my shit. I walk out. I don't hear from them again for like six months. And then Linda, the old casting director there, started calling me again and saying, hey, Craig, can you do this voice or this voice? And I said, yeah, whatever you need. And every time they brought me in to do another episode of Family Guy or American Dad, Linda's – or not Linda, uh, Seth – is never around. It's always it was always this guy Mike Henry, who does the voice of Cleveland and the yeah. Cleveland guy. And every time I'd see Mike Henry, I'd go, "Hey, Mike, is uh, Seth around?" And every time I see him, I'd go, "Don't worry about Seth. We'll get you out of here real quick." And I was like, "Oh, <laughs> shit, yeah, yeah." That said a lot, man. That said a lot. But yeah, dude, I get I get nervous. I I don't get nervous around musicians anymore uh, because musicians are always coming to my shows. Um, I get, I get nervous around, uh, usually athletes cause I'm not athletic whatsoever. So I really, um, respect the athletes that I've cheered for on TV, you know? And, um, but musicians, Wait, the Matt Hasselbeck one. that's, that's another one that you, <laughs> yeah, Matt Hasselbeck. I really, I creeped out Matt Hasselbeck and, um, <laughs> and, and Matt let me, I was just thinking about this the other day, Matt let me film a whole sketch in the parking lot of the training camp for the Indianapolis Colts when he was playing for the Colts. And I brought um, uh, comedian Chris Porter with me and it's online. He, he helped me put the whole thing together. I was like, I, I go, Hey, man, I got this idea of, of like, you know, where I'm just kind of creepy. And I just showed him, he goes, Oh, this will be easy. He goes, you're already <laughs> creepy. Was this so, after well, he unfollowed you on Twitter? Yeah, this, this oh. was after he unfollowed me, okay. but he would, I was in Indianapolis doing local radio talking about how lucky the city was to have Matt Hasselbeck and how much I loved him. And yeah. somebody from the Colts called me and said, Hey, Matt would like to invite you to practice. And I was like, um, wow. Oh, and then they said it, they said, and Matt said, if there's anything you'd like to film, he would, he, he's open for filming something. And I was like, I have an idea. I it's, it's really simple. It's just me showing up at his, originally I wanted to do it at, at work. Like, um, uh, the, uh, the the food hall area where all the players eat. I just thought maybe I'd show up there and creep him out there. And Matt said, uh, wouldn't it be funnier if we were in the parking lot and you just showed up in the parking lot at my car? And I was like, fuck, that is a lot funnier. You know what? Let's do that. <laughs> and, and then we fit. And it was like, we literally did it in two takes. Matt was like, oh, it's, you, you are creepy. So it'll be easy to react to this. And, <laughs> and he knocked it out of the park. And yeah, it was, it was crazy, man. It was crazy. Is that, but, is that on YouTube? It's on YouTube, yeah. Okay. Uh, if you if you Google my name and Matt Hasback, you'll see that sketch on YouTube. And um, uh, but the other night, uh, literally two nights ago, I just saw Kiss in Austin, and um, you know I've been making jokes about the band uh, specifically about Gene um, and how much he scares me for years because I mean we have a history together. The guy confronted me live on the air. Right. Years ago, and then and then I crashed one of his interviews, dressed up as Gene Simmons, and and the other night in Austin, I I happened to be in the hallway where the band's dressing room was. Comedian George Lopez was sitting there, and and I saw Gene Simmons full costume. It's five minutes before they're about to go on stage, and Gene is sitting in a chair. And George goes, "Did you say hi to him?" And I go, oh, "I'm not bothering him." And he goes, "Oh, come on, man! Hey, hey, Gene!" Gene, 
look who's here, man. It's Craig Gass. And Gene looked over and I was like, I don't want to bother you, man. It's cool. You know? And he goes, and I go, and he goes, come here, come here. And I walked over, he stood up and he gave me a hug. Like he pulled me into his chest plate and then he patted me on the head and said, you're a good boy. (laughs) Like you're a dog or something. (laughs) It was awesome. It was awesome. I mean, listen, we got to, I don't know how much of your audience knows these stories, but yeah, there's you know, a there's a bunch of them. Yeah. Like how big of a Kiss fan are you though? Like it seems like every musician I interview is a Kiss fan. Yes, that is absolutely 100% true. Um which is why the whole Rock and Roll Hall of Fame thing never made any sense cuz if one of the key ingredients to being in the Hall of Fame, if that's one of the qualifications is that you are influential. Like yeah. everyone Gene and Paul's age say that the Beatles, they remember watching the Beatles on Ed Sullivan change their life. And everyone after Kiss would say the same thing about Kiss. And that's every rock band after Kiss talks about Kiss. Every, you know, Garth Brooks, there's, there's all kinds of uh, music artists, all kinds of genres that were influenced by Kiss. And they were, um, to me, I, I grew up, by the time I'm 13, 14 years old, they took the makeup off. So Lick It Up is the first Kiss album I buy. And then um, and uh, all hell's breaking loose. I'm laughing because uh, uh, John Five, who's now in Motley Crue. Yeah. He has this uh, um, Kiss uh, page that he runs on Instagram called Knights in Satan's Service. And I ran into him somewhere where he said, uh, hey, man, um, I have this Instagram page, Knights in Satan's Service where I just filmed friends of mine um, doing a kiss question of the week. Do you mind if I put you on uh, the question of the week is what's your favorite kiss song? And I said, of course and they go, you want to do it right now? And I go, yeah, yeah. You want it? Okay, go ahead. Ready? <clears throat> All right. Hey, comedian Craig gas here. You might want to Google that. I am a huge <laughs> kiss fan and my all time kiss song, favorite song of all time. It's actually a tie. I have two of them. One is, all Hell's Breaking Loose off the Lick It, Out, Lick it Up album. And Unholy, my two favorite Kiss songs of all time. Both of those songs, coincidentally, written by Vinnie Vincent, which is why I now own a long line of women's leisure suits. And John goes, oh, we can't know because we got to redo that. And I was like, that's crap. What? And he goes, no, we got to redo it. I can't say that. And I was like, dude, it's funny. It's funny. And he's like, no, we got to redo it. And made me redo it. And I was bummed out about that. But, but yeah, yeah. I became a, a Kiss fan when I was 13, when they had taken the makeup off. And then it was well over 10 years later, they put the makeup back on. And I get to experience that kind of a show. But I start doing impressions of those guys on the Howard Stern show. And my life seems to change as it happens because I start getting contacted by Kiss fans and then Kiss employees, and then Gene Simmons shows up. And then everything just made a hard turn because uh, the impression of Gene Simmons that I do, which, by the way, I was given great advice years and years ago from a friend of mine who works for Aerosmith named John Bianelli. John taught me, if you want to do a Gene Simmons impression, listen to Benjamin Netanyahu. It's the same voice. Hi, this is Benjamin Netanyahu. (laughs) from kiss it's the same voice and by the way that guy john 
works for Aerosmith. For years, that's how we would talk to each other. He'll pick up the phone and go, hello. And I'll go, hi, John, this is Gene Simmons from KISS. And he'll go, what's up, Gene? Not much. Listen, I hope you don't mind, but Aerosmith's entire catalog is available for $49.95 at KISSonline.com. Whoa, that's crazy. And something crazy happens. KISS and Aerosmith put a tour together. And uh, John, who's working in the front office for Aerosmith, gets a phone call. They said, hey, John, it's a call for you. And he says, yeah, put it through. He picks up and he goes, hello. Hi, John. This is Gene Simmons from KISS. And John goes, what's up, you fat Jew bastard? And there's a long pause. And he hears, I'm sorry. And there's another long pause. And he goes, (laughs) Craig? And he goes, no, it's not Craig Gass. This is Gene Simmons from KISS. Listen, I have a question for Stephen and Joe. And he went right into his question. Didn't even bat an eye. I like how he's not offended or mad at that. No, he, in fact, apparently the other day, there's these new shirts that I, I sell at my shows that say Craig Gas sucks um, in different logos and stuff. And uh, one, of, one of the couple people from Kiss came to my show in Austin. All these shows I'm doing <laughs> are the night before the Kiss concerts in these cities, Austin, Seattle, and then New York City, the final shows of Kiss. I'm going to perform the night before and the night after the farewell shows for Kiss. And the employees for Kiss are coming to the shows. That's and, awesome. And so um, one of their heads of security was wearing the Craig Gas Suck shirt. And he told me that Gene walked in and said, where'd you get that? And he goes, oh, man, Craig Gas did a show here in Austin last night. And he goes, is he still talking about me? And he goes, a lot. And Gene goes, good. <laughs> he loves it. Is that part loves of their it. marketing strategy, you think, is to kind of just get the name out there? It doesn't matter how they did it. They want people talking about him. He's aware enough to know that the jokes are still a love letter to the man. You know, it's like, right. you know, I'm a huge Kiss fan. And all, all these stories that I share about my run-ins with Gene. And again, these are just for a couple of shows that I'm doing. Seattle, Washington is Sunday, November 5th. Uh, New York City, December 3rd. Oh, no, November 30th and December 3rd. So on, on the bookends of the last weekend of Kiss, I'm doing these shows where it just it's an hour of jokes about Kiss. And he knows that... I mean, that first time he ever... He confronted me live on the Howard Stern show. That day, I was headlining Caroline's for the first time ever, which is a big deal for a comedian. And someone told Gene, they said, you know, Craig's got a big night tonight. He's, he's doing Caroline's for the first time. And Gene, I don't know why, somebody gave Gene my fucking phone number because he called me. I didn't recognize the number, so I let it go to voicemail, and I still have this voicemail. And this is the voicemail that launched this entire joke. He actually said on my voicemail when I checked it later, boop, hi, Craig, this is Gene Simmons from Kiss. He actually said, was from Kiss. Was there a like that too, though? Was yes, that, yes, from Kiss fun. on my answering machine. Like, I'm going to confuse you with Gene yeah. Simmons from Pet Boys. Like, I know who this is. Right. It's Gene Simmons from Kiss. I know that today is a big day for you. You're headlining Caroline's. <laughs> I want you to know the KISS Army is behind you, and I support you. That's why I'm going to be in the front row. He came down to the show, sat in the front row, brought a bunch of women with him, 
And uh, when I started doing my kiss jokes, Gene just started to lean back. You know, he's talking about me. Isn't that something? Like he, he <laughs> loved it. In fact, I remember that night he invited me to a strip club. And, um, and I went and, and he let me bring my two buddies with me who are also huge Kiss fans. We go to the strip club where we immediately get escorted to a back lounge um, where Gene, there's a couple of couches. Gene sits down on one couch where he's just covered in strippers, just completely covered in strippers. And me and my other two friends are on the other couch going, yay, like we're just, we're just cheering them on. Yay. And then Gene sees me through the crowd of strippers and goes, hold on. Ladies, let me ask you a question. Do you like stand-up comedy? You do. Because this gentleman right here, this very powerful and attractive man, is the gentleman who does the impression of me. Isn't that something? And the strippers all looked at me and I went, what's going on? And they all went, Nothing. And I was like, oh, all right. Well, that's about right, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. You didn't you know do the impression for him? No, I didn't. I mean, I thought that we were about to just start talking like normal, <laughs> you know? And uh, maybe trying to throw you a bone a little bit or maybe yeah. build himself up. But there's so many stories over the years of, of you know, not just uh, Gene, but Paul and the other band members. Uh, Paul's always been really nice to me. Paul gave me his phone number the very first night we ever meant he said I'm, i love stand-up comedy i love what you do gave me his phone number i called him once and it was um the day after he gave me his phone number i was jacked up on espresso and i felt really confident and i i called him up he picked up the phone and he goes hello and i said hi paul this is gene simmons <laughs> from kiss and he went okay and then i started selling him kiss products it's like he fell for it he just, and I just, I finally stopped and said, I'm sorry. I go, Paul, it's Craig Gaz. I just wanted to say it was nice to meet you. Thank, <laughs> thank you. Thank you for being so nice to me and, and blah, blah, blah. And, and Paul said, you know, I was going to say, you're starting to sound like that fucking comedian. And I was like, yeah. And, I, and then I realized I'm talking to Paul Stanley and I go, all right, I got to take a shit. I'll see you later. I just, I just wanted to get off the phone, you know, but, um, but yeah, these shows are are a lot of fun, and there's a lot of material there. You know, is there new stuff from like the that's different from like the Kiss Cruise and the other stuff that you've done? About Absolutely, Kiss? because I've had so many experiences in the last couple of years. Or do you ever think of fictional? Like, do you ever workshop new ideas of like funny scenarios? Well, it's funny. Paul handed me something a few months ago. I don't. I don't think it was his intention to, but we did this charity event in Detroit where he doesn't like my impression of him. And he, he's made right. it clear that he doesn't like my... He loves hearing my impressions. I'm on his answering machine. He called me... As a Al Pacino, years, right? Yeah. As Al Pacino. And he said, I want you to do my voicemail. And then... Awesome. Um, so if you call Paul Stanley, you will hear... And he made me edit this. The original one I sent him was, Hi, this is Al Pacino. And you've reached a voicemail for the star child. Leave a message... And get to the point. Nobody wants to hear you ramble on and on. If you ramble, I know where you live. I'm coming to your house and I'm taking a flamethrower to that motherfucker. Boop. And I sent a note and said, let me know if you have any notes. And he texted me right back and said, yeah, I have some notes. Why are you cursing? And I was like, oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> and then you realize Paul never curses. 
he never curses on stage. And I was like, do any of our songs have curse? I'd have to think about that. Maybe not. No. I mean, there's a whole lot of over the top sexual innuendo. Like I'll put a log in your fireplace and fucking. (laughs) Yeah. Well, yeah. So uh, last week I had Tom Warman on and he's Mm -hmm. a famous producer. He told me the story that uh, when, when they were in wicked Lester, Mm-hmm. That they uh, they had a threesome with some girl in the drum booth, and I thought, oh my god, this is a great idea for you to do <laughs> the voices of Paul and Gene in a threesome. Like that just sound, doesn't that sound like a hilarious premise? Like, it is. So that was Paul and Gene in the threesome with the girl in the drum booth. It was Paul yes, and Gene. Yes. Whoa! Wow. <laughs> you know what? I I'll bet it. Have you ever seen the Paul and Paul and Gene fight on YouTube? No. What? What? If you Google Paul Stanley, Gene Simmons fight, somebody took a, like a, a totally unedited clip and threw it on YouTube from Dick Clark's New Year's Eve. It's the raw footage of this interview they do with with Gene and Paul. And, and you see the producer in front of the camera at the beginning. And he goes, hey, Paul. Hey, Gene. It looks like it kind of looks like. Uh, I'm going to guess the unholy era, era like like around that time, um, uh, based on their look that they have. And he goes, hey, so uh, so I'm just going to ask you just some simple questions. I just want to hear like some fun stories about what it's like being Kiss. And and then uh, Dick is going to cut to these clips on New Year's Eve and they go, all right, yeah, yeah, we got, we got, you know, they're, they're total pros. And the guy gets behind the camera and he goes, all right, uh, so first question, Gene, what's the craziest thing that anyone's ever asked you to autograph? And Gene goes craziest thing that anyone's ever asked me to autograph probably a baby i autographed a baby and then i handed it back and they go paul and paul goes you have a fake baby story and gene goes he just kind of looks at him and then paul answers a question and they go gene is it true that it was something along the lines of uh you can have any woman that you want on the road and he goes when you're in kiss you can do anything you want with any woman you want they'll do whatever you say and they go paul same question and he goes you know any idiot can make up stories about having sex on the road but the reality is and he starts giving some really straight answer and they go gene next question and he goes can we hold on can we can we stop for one second hold on why are you being such an asshole to me? And he's right in Paul Stanley's face and Paul won't look at him. And he goes, it's okay. Keep going. No, keep going. And he goes, no, you're being an asshole. What are you like? <laughs> so it's not like a shouting match, but they are an old married couple. And, for sure. And they know, make it work though. And they make so it work. Long. They absolutely make it work. They're different personalities, but you know, you, you, you have, disagreements with people that you love in your life you know you have moments where you know how to get on each other's nerves and you do and it's it's just amazing to watch that happen but yeah paul and gene uh with the three so i'm like oh yeah let me hear ya! like you know the idea of doing like going at it with that girl and by the way the paul stanley when we did the charity event together in detroit um paul said at the charity event he goes craig do your impression of me and i go Hey, everybody, this is Paul Stanley. And Paul goes, you make me sound like I own a hair salon in Long Island. And I was like, that's a great premise for a joke. Paul Stanley's hair salon. Come on in. I'll give you a blowout. Come on in. Yeah. Let me hear you, people. 
You wonder yeah. what they, those guys would do if they weren't in a rock band or if the rock band, if it you know fell apart at one point, what would they, Gene Simmons would be in some sort of used car salesman or some sort of business. <laughs> yeah. I mean, those personalities don't apply to regular everyday life. And that's, that's why I've always admired them. You know, there's interviews that I've seen with them over the years that where the confidence is what I was always drawn to. I was always attracted to that confidence of, I remember somebody saying, uh, Paul, why is Kiss so amazing? And he goes, you know, a lot of bands are envious of Kiss. I'm even envious of Kiss. And I was like, God damn, I wish I had that confidence. So what could they do outside of what they're doing now? I don't know. I think this this band just got so huge and so massive that it, it, it started to define who they were. And um, so do you think it's real, the confidence, or is it is it fake? Are they insecure behind that? Is it all just a front? No, I think it's real. I think it's very real. And and it's funny because when I do the impression of them, I, I just go so over the top of it. Dude, there was one time I was in uh Toronto, Canada. Um God, I'm trying to think of this guy's name. There's a guy who manages the band Rush. Ray Daniels is his name. Ray Daniels has been the manager of Rush since day one. And I'm doing a a big show. I think it was called the Queen Elizabeth Theater. It was a big deal. I was doing two shows in one night at this theater. And I wanted to contact Ray Daniels and tell him, hey, uh, I'm a comedian and I do a lot of jokes about Kiss. I think you'll really appreciate this. And uh, I had a friend of mine get a hold of a phone number for Ray Daniels. And I wasn't trying to use Ray to get to the band Rush. I really wanted Ray to come down because I don't know if you know this, Rush and Kiss have a huge history together. They actually, the first four, five years of their careers, they toured flip-flopping as headliner and opening act with each other for years um, as their career started out. And so I knew that Ray would understand these jokes. And a friend of mine gets a, a phone number for SRO Management, which is Rush's management company. And then I, I'm getting ready to call them when I realize, shit, why would they even, why would he even pick up the phone call f- from a guy he doesn't know? And I thought, well, you know what? If I call to somebody famous, I'll bet I'll get him to pick up. So I call up, hello, SRO management. Hi, this is Gene Simmons from KISS. I need to speak with Ray Daniels, please. And this woman goes, okay, hold on one, just one moment, Gene. Hi, Ray Daniels' office. Hi, this is Gene Simmons from KISS. I need to speak with Ray Daniels, please. And this girl goes, oh, hey, Gene. Um, Ray is actually out of town today. Um, if you want, I can take your cell phone number, and I'll have him call you tomorrow. And I went, how about you give me his cell phone number? And she goes, okay. I just want to make sure it's really you. And I said, all right, ask me a question. And she went, I'm sorry. You want to know if it's me? Ask me a question. I'll tell you what. I'll ask you a question. Who's the greatest rock band of all time? And she went, I'm guessing it's Kiss. That's right. And she goes, all right, it's 416. And she gave me the number. And I was like, oh, shit. And I'm writing the phone number down. And I, and I, I call the She's phone like, number. It's only Gene Simmons would do that. Only he would have that kind I was such an asshole that she was like, all right, this is clearly <laughs> Gene Simmons. Yeah. It has to be Gene. Here's the phone number. She gives me the phone number. I call the phone number and I get the I get the answer machine or the voicemail and I go, Ray. Oh my god. 
You don't know me. My name is Craig Gass. I'm a I'm a stand-up comedian. Um, I've never met you before, but I just prank called your assistant and she gave me your cell phone number. And um, I'm a stand-up comedian and I'm doing a show. Never heard from Ray, never heard from the assistant. I don't even know if she still works for him. That might have got yeah. her fired. That might have got her fired. I don't know, but yeah. So you know, do you have a lot of stories like that where you use the voice to to trick people or to manipulate or to get things like that? Well, as a kid growing up, I was always able to do voices because I grew up in a deaf family, so I couldn't learn how to talk for my family. I learned how to talk by watching TV. So as a teenager, I would um, talk like an adult and call all of our parents and say, hey, uh, yeah, this is Chuck's dad. He's going to be staying with us tonight, and uh, they're going to be staying in. We're having a sleepover and having some pizzas. And it's like, oh, okay, cool. And then we just party all night. You know, Um, when I was in high school... I would go to parties and um, my formative years were in Tucson, which is an hour away from the Mexican border. So uh, friends at parties would go, hey, Craig, hey, <clears throat> if uh, if we give you some cocaine, um, will you do some impressions for us? And I'd be like, fuck, yeah, I'll do some impressions. And I got really good at doing impressions. But I also developed Did the cocaine help, though, you think like the cocaine? Like I would do impressions of like people from the eighties, like Cliff Clavin and stuff where, you know, you give me like one line of coke and like, Hey, I'll tell you what, that, uh, you know, that cocaine is, uh, originally found in the early 1900s. Yeah. You know, that, and then the more coke I do, yeah, but, uh, you know, doing coke all the time, it turns into crack cocaine and, you know, then you can start to lose it because the impression kind of goes right. off the rails. But, um, uh, but yeah, I was always doing impressions, uh, I mean, fuck, the first time I ever met Tom Arnold, who's one of the nicest human beings on the planet, it was a prank phone call. I, I called him up. Someone told me that Tom Arnold was staying at a hotel in Seattle. I'm living in Seattle at this point, uh, doing stand-up comedy. And uh, I called the hotel and I said, hi, Tom Arnold, please. Tom picks up the phone and he goes, hello. And I said, Tom, it's Sam Kennison. Sam Kinison had been dead for seven years at this point. And Tom Arnold said, <laughs> hey, Sam, what's going on, buddy? And I, I go, I go, Tom, it's Sam Kinison. I need some help here in the afterlife. And he goes, whatever you need, buddy, I will help you out. What do you need? And I said, well, I need some cocaine. I need you to get me some cocaine. So I want you to follow my instructions. This is what you need to do. First of all, I need you to front me the cash. I need you to get me some cash. And then I want you to uh, buy some cocaine. And this is the tricky part. I need you to get on a plane, fly back to Los Angeles. I want you to drive to Jerry Lewis's house. And then I want you to take the cocaine and I want you to put it in the small pocket of Jerry Lewis's pants. And I'll have it when he gets here in three weeks. Oh! <laughs> and then I stopped and said, Tom, I'm sorry. My name's Craig Gass. I'm a stand-up comedian. I'm just, I'm a huge fan of yours. And he said, man, that, uh, that impression is so good that uh, I need to call my sponsor right now. That's how good it is. That's how good it is. I need to call my sponsor right now. And, uh, and then, uh, and then, you know, we hit it off and then whatever, but, but yeah, it's, that is, I think it's how I, I spend a large part of my day is doing impressions. And then uh, the kiss theme shows that I'm doing, is just specifically all the kiss jokes for an hour in Seattle and New York right before kiss performs. And then 
in New York. It'll be right before and right after. And it's not just the Kiss jokes, but all the Kiss fans that, you know, Sebastian Bach's coming out. Um, and Sebastian, That's awesome. I'm a huge yeah. fan of this. Dude, Sebastian has... He's every- voice too, right? Well, yeah, but it's because I keep... Sebastian gave me one of the greatest Kiss stories ever, and he said, dude, I went to that guy's fucking house... And that guy has a fucking kiss museum at his fucking house, which is true. He used to have a room dedicated to every piece of kiss merchandise. And Sebastian said that he noticed there was like a bag with like 100 kiss cell phone covers. And I said, dude, what the fuck is that? And Gene Simmons goes, that's our new promotion for Kissmas. That's our new kiss cell phone covers. Can I have one of those? I wish I could, but if you go to kissonline.com, you can buy And he wouldn't give him one piece of plastic. By the way, Sebastian loves my impression of him. And one of my favorite things about Sebastian is um, his uh, Instagram. It's all uh, cameo videos. Have you seen his? Um, yeah. Videos? And I love that Sebastian refuses to do a second take. He's making so much money. He's like, fuck it. Like, there's one video where I saw He's reading a cue card and he goes, uh, hey, what's up? This is Sebastian Bach. And I want to wish Tom a happy birthday from your wife, Karen. Fuck yeah, rock on. And I know that cancer is really bad. Holy shit. Uh, And I'm like, dude, do a second take. (laughs) Do a second take. And the next time I saw him, I told him about that video and he goes, well, dude, people are paying me 500 bucks. Like, sorry, your dog died. <laughs> Whatever, dude. And I was like, holy <laughs> shit. What the fuck? Dude, anyone like Sebastian, anyone like Gene Simmons, who understands that the joke is a joke and can laugh at themselves, I fucking love those people. Love them. And Sebastian you, absolutely laughs at himself. Didn't you say that um, you have a warrant story, right? Like you s- met them in a circle K one time. I saw this picture, but didn't you say that you thought Janie Lane, that was his, one of his faults is that he couldn't laugh at himself. Yeah, no, I knew them. Well, there's a lot of these bands. I had two generations of friendships with them once as a fan. And then once as a comedian where I don't even bring up the fact that we used to hang out when I was a kid. They don't remember. Uh, and they don't, they don't seem to remember. No. In fact, it comes up sometimes like, wait, when did I first meet you? And I go, yeah, I met you when I was like 15 and you thought I was funny. And it's like, really where? And I'm like, yeah. And they don't. So I just, I don't even, I just eliminate the fact that I used to hang out with them as a fan and as a kid, but, uh, the guys in warrant, some of them remember, like, it's really neat when the first kiss cruise that I did, uh, Skid Row performed and Rachel said something really nice to me about remembering me since I was 15 and saying, you know, we're all really proud of you. And I was like, oh, that is so wow. cool. And uh, dude, you want to hear the craziest fucking story is um, uh, when I was a kid, I- I'm going to do a podcast that I'm starting soon to cover all these stories, which includes a lot of these rock things like living at Eddie Van Halen's house. And yeah, and o- I was going to ask you about that, too opening for Metallica and and all these stories. When I was 15, 16 years old, I'm living in Tucson, Arizona, and a friend of mine, um, his sister's a a maid at this five-star resort in Tucson. And he goes, dude, Whitesnake is staying at that hotel today. I was going to ask you about this story too. Yeah. And Whitesnake was performing the next day in Tucson. So 
I get a ride out to that resort. And is that a Seahawks cup? <laughs> yeah, of course, baby. <laughs> you know it. And uh, I get a ride out to the resort and Rudy Sarzo is out at the pool. And this makes me cringe now to think about. But I walked out and Rudy and I talked for a couple of hours. It makes me cringe to think about it. But he was really nice about it. And I really was giving him out. It's like, hey, do you want me to leave? And he's like, no, this is cool. Let's hang out. Let's talk, whatever. And then Rudy said, hey, do you have a car? And I lied and said, yeah, yeah, why? What's up? What, what do you need? And he said, hey, tomorrow before the concert, um, can you drive by and, and pick me up? Um, I need to go to this store. There's a store that I, I have an address. Do you know where this And he has this card. And he said, do you know where this address is? It's a, it's a store that sells um, uh, sheets and comforters. And he said, I need to get some sheets and comforters. This tour is about to end. And I'm going home to Los Angeles. And I'm looking for some sheets. I'm looking for specific patterns. And I said, yeah, I'll, what time do I pick you up? And he goes, like, you know, like maybe like tomorrow around noon, can you come by? And uh, my other, one of my guitar players, Adrian, wants to go too. And I was like, whatever you need. And the next day I went to school and just yelled at everybody and said, who wants to take White Snake shopping? Who wants to go? Who wants to take, who's got a car? I need a car to take White Snake shopping. And my friend Brian, who hated anything hard rock, he was like a Depeche Mode, OMD, the Cure fan. He's like, I'll take White Snake shopping. I don't even like White Snake. And I was like, all right, cool. So we ended up going, pick up uh, Rudy. And thank God the store that we went to did not have the comforters and sheets he was looking for because we were trying to get him to go to the mall where all our friends hung out. And Rudy's like, we're not going to the mall. If we go to the mall, it's going to be crazy. Because this is like the height of still of the night. What is love? They sold out the arena in Tucson. This is the height of White Snake. And... Because that store didn't have the sheets, he, the lady said, you know, if you want to go to the mall, they have more selections at the mall. And he was like, all right, let's go to the mall. And we go to the mall with some of the guys from Whitesnake at the height of Whitesnake and walk through the mall. He gave us instructions as we got out. He's like, okay, he goes, we're going to walk and we're going to walk fast. If anybody says anything, we're not stopping. Don't, if anybody yells, we don't acknowledge it. We just keep walking. And I got to me and my buddy Brian power walked through the mall where all our friends were hanging out at with the guys from White Snake. And then uh, fast forward 12 years, maybe 15 years, I'm backstage at a concert at the Forum in Los Angeles. They have a room called the Forum Club. It's like a private VIP club. And I'm now doing stand-up comedy and I'm working on the Howard Stern show. And I get a tap on my shoulder, turn around. It's Rudy Sarzo and his wife, Rebecca. And he said, Craig, I'm sorry to bother you. My name is Rudy Sarzo. This is my wife, Rebecca. We are huge fans of yours. And we listen to you all the time on the Howard Stern Show. And I said, Rudy, you're not going to believe this. Do you remember (laughs) a 15-year-old kid in Tucson, Arizona, taking you shopping when you were in town with Whitesnake? And he goes, for comforters and sheets? And I said, for comforters and sheets. And he goes, Craig, I am so proud of you. And I went, oh, it was insane. And then that's, that's not ahead. even the white. Oh, is there more? Yeah. Like, uh, I think it was a, another. Adler. Is that that's a, a different story? It's a totally different story. 10 years later, oh. 10 years later, I am uh, at a. In, a, in an area of Washington State called the Tri-Cities, it's three tiny towns that make up the Tri-Cities, Kennewick, Pasco, and Richland. 
and there's one Starbucks that's in the mall and it's like, it's got an outdoor entrance and I'm, I just got done doing morning radio and I pull up to the mall and it's 10 o'clock in the morning. So it's dead. I see one person is sitting in front of the Starbucks and I start walking up to the Starbucks and I hear Craig and I go, Rudy, I'm in the middle of the tri cities What? and Rudy Sarzo is sitting at, and then it happened again during COVID. I was driving up the coast from Los Angeles to Seattle. I stopped at a small, tiny town just over the Oregon border and Rudy was in that town performing with, uh, I think, BTO. Um, yeah. When I saw him in the Tri-Cities, he was with Blue Oyster Cult. And, uh, but yeah, very surreal. Very, very surreal. Wait, so what is the one with Steven Adler where like you took a girl to Whitesnake and she cheated on you with Steven Adler? Is that a story? Um, yeah, there was uh, the girl that I, I dated a girl who um, broke up with me be- right before I threw a party with some of the guys uh, in Guns N' Roses. Yeah. I was like 18 or 19 at the time. Yeah, there's... You I were posted, friends with the Guns N' Roses guys then? I was friends with Steven and Duff and Slash. And then years later, I've reconnected with them as a stand-up comedian. And, uh, but yes, I did. There's yeah. a lot, there's a lot to that story, by the way, which... There's a there's a very crazy part to that story that I can't get into right now, but I will at some point get into because there's so much involved at that in that um, moment in in those moments that I was having that has actually been written about in books. And I know I'm sounding really cryptic when I say this, but um, but yeah, that's it's more it's part of a much bigger story that that uh, people have not connected the dots on. Oh. that um, that I'm going to and that's that's actually one of the things I want to cover in that in the new podcast that I'm going to launch I mean it's like yeah. you know I it's you're going into some great shit my I, I I you're asking great questions my I only was like of the mindset of talking about these kiss shows that are coming up but you're asking great great questions thank kiss you stuff, yeah it's all connected oh the, the other one I don't want to I don't want you to tell the story because I think people need to look it up but your story of the corn you tell the story on Artie Lang's podcast people need to like they need to hear it when with Artie lang because yeah. he laughs through the whole thing mm-hmm. i can't it, it's perfect how it is i'm like you should never tell that story ever again it's only should be told on that Artie lang show because it's perfect uh not only that you should also listen to big jay okerson come on the Artie lang podcast and tell his version of the story oh. it's, it's it's a lot angrier really and, oh yeah and i i realize you know i mean it wasn't it wasn't a nice thing what I did in his car um, with all the women that were in the car um, and Big J describes how dirty the car was and how it was covered in uh, mud and and dirt and like baby toys were missing. It's, it's a phenomenal moment. It's, it's um, and it's all documented at the Camden police department in Camden, New Jersey. Cause everybody got arrested that night except for me, but yeah, it's yeah. Um, that one's crazy. Really, really crazy story, man. Chuck, you're doing it. You're doing some more. You're the Bob, you're the Bob Costas of the <laughs> rock interview community. Well, We have the rock stories and we have the comedy stories. I don't know if I've ever told, heard you tell any 
Norm stories because Norm was one. Norm McDonald's one of my favorite comedians mm. of all time. Did you ever have any run-ins with him or stories? Yeah, I we did a few. Him. We did a few shows together, and um, um, I was just hanging out with some musician friends of mine who were asking me Norm stories, and and right when we split up, it was some friends of mine were doing a residency in Las Vegas, and. And uh, one of the guys was just like, I love Norm. Tell me some Norm stories. And after we split up, I was like, fuck, I forgot to tell you this one great story. And it's actually, um, I didn't hear it from Norm. I heard it from Artie. I was at Artie's house to do his podcast. And Artie had Chris Farley's brother on uh, promoting a, it was like a documentary that came out about Farley. And I was just fly on the wall waiting for my turn when Artie told his one Chris Farley story. And his one Chris Farley story was that Norm, you don't know this story? No, no, I don't think so. Norm invited Artie to come to Saturday Night Live. And it happened to be one of the most controversial SNL appearances ever because it was hosted by Chris Farley. Controversial because Chris was in such bad shape that week that they actually had Chris Rock also rehearsing all the sketches just in case Chris Farley didn't make it to Saturday because he was in such bad shape. And then Farley managed to get all the way to Saturday. And there's some really fucked up stories about that week, um, about things that happened. And at the end of that week, Farley makes it to the show. He does the live show. And then at the after party, Farley is off the rails. And apparently this behavior was very disturbing to Norm. Norm was a surprisingly empathetic person. and. Uh, and uh, already said he, he could see Norm like constantly looking at Farley and just, and just, uh, with a, a face that he was just really concerned about the guy. And then Farley like disappeared for like a couple hours and they're like, where'd he go? Where'd he go? Nobody knew where he went. And Norm was asking, have you seen him? Did you see where he went? And then at some point already comes back over to Norm and goes, uh, Hey Norm, I, uh, I just saw, uh, Farley walking into the men's room as I was coming out and he was walking in with Andy Dick. And I can only think of two reasons why any guy would go into a men's room with Andy Dick and Norm Macdonald went, Oh God, I hope he's high. <laughs> <laughs> Which is the greatest Norm. Um, one of those like, insults and one liners. Like I heard this one where he, I can't remember. I think it was Nick Swartzen was saying that, he was telling Norm, he's like, yeah, Norm, like during COVID, remember he had to cancel the shows and stuff? <laughs> yeah, and, yeah. Uh, I think it was Nick Swartzen, he was saying, he goes, he's telling Norm, he goes, yeah, yeah, I had to cancel like $10,000 worth of shows. And then Norm's like, you had to cancel the whole year? Fucking <laughs> 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 Norm. Good bird. Dude. But Norm, again, to his empathy, and again, this is a rock podcast, so forgive me because this is a comedy story. But this is everything um, we do. Every we do everything here. My buddies that were in Vegas, they were doing a residency at, at the House of Blues, and I was telling them, I was like, "Man, I did a show here at the House of Blues once with Norm Macdonald, and it was uh, it was the one of the craziest shows I've ever done. The show was sold out. I think it's like uh, uh, between sixteen hundred and eighteen hundred seats at the House of Blues." And it's completely sold out. I'm sitting on the side of the stage when this guy walks over and he goes, are you Craig? And I go, yeah. And he goes, hey, I'm the host. Um, uh, what do you want me to say about you? And I go, oh, just uh, um, <clears throat> just say uh, Howard Stern show, King of Queens, you know? And he's like, okay, cool. 
nervous. And I go, yeah, it's, it's a good crowd, man. It's a big crowd. And he goes, it's my first time. And I said, first time like in front of a big crowd. And he goes, no, it's my first time doing stand-up. And I was like, you've never done stand-up before? And he goes, no. And I was like, how did you get this show? And he goes, I'm, I'm a bartender here at the House of Blues. I've always wanted to be a stand-up comedian. And uh, um, we actually, um, we get the schedules like six months ahead of time. We know like six months ahead of time who's coming here. And when I saw Norm McDonald, Norm's my favorite comedian of all time. And when I saw that he was coming, I campaigned uh, to the bosses. Like, you know, I want to host. Let, let me let me host the show. Actually, there's a bunch of employees that work here at House of Blues. They took the night off and they're in the crowd. They're just they're just here to support me and watch me. And I was like, but you've you've never like you haven't even gone to like an open mic to, re- to rehearse goes, or something. Goes, yeah, this is it. This is my first time. And I was like, good luck, buddy. <laughs> Shit. And sure enough, he goes out and eats his dick for like the most uncomfortable. It's only supposed to be ten minutes. It is the longest ten minutes. His pits are sweating. You can hear him start to stammer. His mouth is really dry. He's even doing this this very amateur thing that that people do when they first start. When he gets into a punchline, he goes like he 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 physically goes like there's supposed to be laughter there, and there's nothing, and the crowd is dead silent. And at one point, he makes another huge rookie mistake when he throws out a joke. It bombs, and he goes, well, maybe you had to be there. And a guy in the top row of the upper balcony goes, maybe you're not funny. And that's the first laugh of the night. Boom. And I didn't even know he was standing behind me, but Norm tapped me on the shoulder and he goes, man, I fucking, I feel bad for this guy. You know, I fucking feel bad for him. Hey, do me a favor. Yeah, don't make fun of them. Yeah. And I was like, shit. All right. I, I won't. I won't. But when he introduced me, I kept my promise to Norm. I didn't say anything. But when the guy, he goes, all right, you guys ready to keep the show going? You guys ready for it? And people are like, yes, geez. And he goes, all right, we have a special guest. You know him from the Howard Stern show, King of Queens. Please welcome Craig Gass. And I go, hey. And I grab the microphone. And I was like, all right. Okay. <laughs> and that's it. I just made a face. And then I got a laugh. But I didn't actually make fun of him. But you have to acknowledge that when you follow someone who bombs like that, or if you follow someone like Dave Chappelle, who just lifts the room up and levitates the the room, you have to acknowledge, okay, I I saw that too. I get it. You know? Right. Yeah, you have to be in the moment. You have to be in the moment. You have to acknowledge what's going on, what we're all thinking about. We're all talking about, we're all thinking the same thing. And you got to acknowledge it right in that moment. And I did. And, um, but yeah, Norm, um, Norm was one of my favorite comedians. He actually loved impressions. He, he did impressions. He actually did an amazing impression. I'm sure it's somewhere on YouTube, but Norm did an amazing impression of super Dave Osborne. He did an impression of an old roommate of mine named Mitch Hedberg, who was a stand-up comedian. And, um, and, uh, Norm, uh, loved impressions and, um, I loved his Burt Reynolds. (laughs) Oh yeah. The Burt Reynolds. Yeah. That's right. 1970s version. Yeah. Yeah. His Burt Reynolds was just a simple, just, just, (laughs) it was just a gum. And then uh, just like a one word impression, 
but he actually did a, a, a legit super Dave Osborne impression. And um, yeah, he was, um, by the way, uh, quickly, I just want to acknowledge when I pointed out that you are the Bob Costas of, uh, of the uh, rock pods here. Um, one of the craziest things I've ever seen in my life is when Bob Costas used to have his late night show called later. It was on after Letterman and it would just be a 30 minute show of him talking to one person. And I just have to bring this up because it's a great story. He had Sam Kinison on his later show and I've been looking for it on YouTube for years and it opens with Bob. I didn't even think Bob Costas could possibly know anything about Sam, but it opens with Bob Costas saying, Sam, I used to watch you back in the early 80s, back at the comedy store in Hollywood. And back then, your entire act was based on that day's obituaries. And I remember thinking to myself, you know what? This guy's brilliant, but he's too dark and he's never going to make it. And Sam goes, oh, my God. Yeah. Wow, I forgot about that. And he explained the bit. Sam Kinison apparently, and I never knew this until the Bob Costas interview, he used to walk on stage with today's obituaries and go, hey, folks, my name is Sam Kennison. I want to thank you guys for coming out. Thanks for supporting stand-up comedy. I'll tell you a couple of people that you won't be seeing here tonight. <laughs> and he just started reading the names of people who just died today. And he's just like, like Esther Goldberg. No, she didn't catch the bus. She's not here. But apparently, if you want to see her work, it's going to be on display this Sunday at Evergreen Mortuary. These are the darkest jokes. <laughs> like darkest, sickest shit. Yeah, it was amazing. That's crazy. You know, yeah. you have your name on the comedy store, right? Like you, mm -hmm. you were you a regular there or how did yeah. you? Yeah. So yeah, you, you got have some comedy store stories? Yeah, I mean, there's, uh, I mean, there's, there's so many of them. I mean, the comedy store. Um, like, who was your class when you were at the comedy store? Like, who else was there? Like, at the, you know, trying to build up their name that hadn't made it yet. Well, it's interesting because my roots are with a great class of the when I first started doing open mic comedy in Seattle at the Comedy Underground. Mm -hmm. I started with Josh Wolf, who's killing it right now. A really wonderful human being named Brody Stevens, who's no longer oh, with us. Yeah, that's really sad. Um, and Joey Diaz. And oh God, Joey Diaz, crazy. Joey Wait, Diaz, he Seattle. He started. He he had just come through Colorado, I believe. I know he's originally from Florida. I think he's from Miami. Um, and uh, but he had just been doing stand up in Denver, and then he started hitting open mics in Seattle for years, and we were all together all the time. That's Crazy. In Seattle. Yeah. It's funny. I always like to ask the same question too when I meet comics. Like, who was part of your class that you started out yeah. with? And then by the time you get to Hollywood, that's more of a that's more of like a a, a college program because everybody's been working on their their material for years and working on their stand-up. And then when you're ready, you make the move to New York or LA. And I went to New York first. And New York was fucking frightening. You want to talk about a story yeah. about my class of people is that I moved in with Hedberg. And then I started going to this club called the Boston Comedy Club. That seemed to be the place to go. And um, I had to start all over again, getting to know comedy club owners and to be trusted to do a set. And it took me weeks before I got a 1 a.m. spot at the, at the um, Boston Comedy Club. And I made the biggest mistake of my life 
by saying, you know what? I'm part of this show. It starts at 8 p.m. and then it goes till 2 a.m. And I'm not scheduled to go on until 1 or 1.30. I'm going to watch the whole show because I'm part of the show. I showed up at 8 p.m. and I watched all these unknown comedians named Bill Burr, Dane Cook, Dave Chappelle, Patrice O'Neill, Rich Voss, Jim Norton. Every single person that came up there murdered. And, it, and I was like, wow, that guy was really good. And then the next guy would come and be like, holy shit. And I watched it for hours until 1 a.m. The host came over and said, hey, are, are you Craig Gass? And I was like, uh, yeah, does anybody else want to go on? Because I can switch. Because I, I, didn't, I didn't even want to go on stage. That's yeah. crazy. Is this yeah. when Bert Kreischer was the door guy too? Yes, Bert was the door guy. Yep. That's insane. Yeah, like, Bert- he's like, that's like he's the bottom level comedian. At that point. Yeah, Bert. Yeah, Bert. I don't even know why Bert was working the door. Um, because it wasn't like I don't think there was like like the comedy store where you park cars and you do dishes and you work the door as a way of getting stage time. Um, mm-hmm. I don't think they necessarily were treating Bert like that because Bert was already getting stage time. I don't know why uh, he was working the door, but he was such a likable guy. Hmm. But he was like a perfect guy. <laughs> that did I ever tell you that Dane Cook bombing story about the Boston Comedy Club? No. Um, there's this uh, one of the I love. This is before all, he made it. Oh yeah, no. This is all comedians love bombing stories, and Dane oh, Cook yeah. has, has the greatest bombing story at that club, at the Boston Comedy Club. Dane Cook does a set at one thirty in the morning on a on a Monday night for six people. One of the six people has all of his groceries on the table with him, watching him because there'd be Bert would be out in the, in the streets going, hey, comedy show, comedy show. Come on in. It's like, oh, no, I, I got my groceries here. I'll help you with the groceries. I'll, I'll get your groceries. I'll, I'll, get your groceries. I'll, I'll get your groceries. Don't worry about it. It's, 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 it's no cover. And they bring him in. And so Dane is bombing for six people at one o'clock in the morning because they've been watching comedy, some of them for hours and one of the six audience members who is hammered gets up, stumbles into the restroom, closes the door, and starts violently vomiting in the bathroom to the point where the other five people are like, because all you hear is, you know, for like several minutes. And then there's a long pause and they hear, and the guy comes back out and he's, Stumbling back out into the room, and Dane was standing on stage, and he goes, "Are you okay? Are you okay? Are you feeling okay? Are you doing all right?" And the guy goes, "Oh, no, I just had some bad comedy." And everyone's like, "Oh!" oh, 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 oh. And the guy with the groceries is throwing his groceries in the air, and they fucking own that guy. They fucking owned him, and there was nothing he could do about it. Yeah. We that all, was funny. <laughs> yeah, we all have had moments like that. All stand-up comedians have had moments where you just like, it just doesn't work out. And that's why you get a thrill out of watching other guys go through it. And like, are you going to get through this? How are you going to dig yourself out of this hole? It's, it's exciting to watch other people go through it. But yeah, yeah, I know I'm taking you way the fuck off course, Chuck. No, I love it. What about like, what? tell me, I was going to ask you this last time you were on, but we didn't have time. Um, your Jerry Seinfeld running. You said he was kind of a dick at the comedy cellar or whatever. Yeah. He wouldn't even acknowledge my presence. <laughs> yeah. That's pretty he, unusual that at least somebody would give you like a high or something. Or That's not unusual for Jerry Seinfeld. <laughs> oh, 
Well, yeah, yeah, have you ever seen that thing where the Kesha, where Kesha tries yeah, to yeah, yeah. He's like, and, no. And he goes, no, no, no it's all right. No, I'm good. <laughs> you know what's amazing? Jerry put it in his documentary, uh, Comedian, where he shows he's, uh, I think he's at the Improv in Addison, Texas. Hmm. And, and he's getting ready to go up and the MC opens the door and he goes, uh, hey, Jerry. Yeah, so we got, um, I got two bottles of water on the stool and uh, they're ready to go. And he goes, okay. And he goes, and uh, is it okay? Um, can I take a picture with you real quick? And he goes, no. And he goes, okay. All right. All right cool. Like he left that in the documentary. And, um, and <laughs> I can, wants those people will stop asking him. Yeah. I mean, believe me, I understand it. Um, after all these years of, you know, doing shows with bands, um, being around people who are way more successful. I know that Gene Simmons, Paul Stanley, for example, the moment they leave their front door all day long, it is an unsupervised meet and greet everywhere they go. And I get it. I know that Gene loves it. Um, I know, <laughs> dude, I, I uh, yeah, I know that, like, I'm in Vegas looking for a place to live a couple of years ago. And I posted something about being in the Rio Hotel. This is in the KISS show that I do, by the way. A oh, long-form nice. version of this is on my KISS show that I'm doing in Seattle, New York before KISS performs there. Um, I posted, I'm at the Rio Hotel. A friend of mine who works for KISS texts me and says, um, are you at the Rio right now? And I said, I am. And he goes, dude, you know, I'm downstairs with Gene Simmons. We're in the KISS mini golf downstairs. Gene wants to talk to you. And I said, I didn't respond. I did not respond because I was like, oh, fuck, this is it. This is what Gene's been waiting for. I've never been alone with Gene. Ever. It's always around other KISS employees. And, and I've always thought in the back of my mind, he's waiting for me to be alone so he can really beat the fuck out of me. And so I don't respond. I get a call from a comedian friend of mine who said, hey, what are you doing? And I said, right now, I am avoiding Gene Simmons. And he goes, what do you mean? And I go, I'm at the Rio Hotel. There's a KISS mini golf downstairs. And someone who works with KISS just texted me and said, Gene wants to talk to you. He's at KISS mini golf. And he goes, so why aren't you going? And I go, I'm afraid that one day he's going to beat the shit out of me. And I think this is the day like he's, he wants to beat the shit up. So I'm not going down. And he goes, dude, are you kidding me? If Gene Simmons beats the shit out of you at kiss mini golf, do you know how great that story would be? And I was like, you know what? You're right. And I put my flip flops on and I went downstairs and it was just Gene entertaining a couple of guys who had paid a lot of money to hang out with him for the afternoon. And then when I walked up, he said, all right, here we go. Come on. You know you want to. And I said, oh, you want me to, to, hey, guys, I'm Craig. I'm a stand-up comedian. And, and he goes, come on, impressions. Get to the impressions. I go, oh, all right. Uh, who do you guys want? Do you like uh, Christopher Walken or Tracy Morgan? And, uh, and I start doing impressions for them. And then these two guys start asking me questions about, so how do you learn, like, how long do you have to practice to do these voices? And I said, it's pretty easy. I mean, I grew up, I don't know if Gene told you, but my whole family's deaf. And so I had to learn how to talk by watching TV. And they said, is that true? And Gene goes, it's true. His family's deaf and he's dumb. And I went, what the fuck? It has nothing like, yeah. but. <laughs> do you ever um, get annoyed with that? Like were people always asking you to do the impressions? I would think like if it's somebody, like if you're good at computers, people are always asking you, hey, can you fix my computer? Like, does it ever get annoying? No, it's how I spend my day all day. So uh, <laughs> I'm totally okay with it. But what was funny is when Gene got done, 
he walked out the front door into the casino, the Rio, out the main entrance, and he got in a car and took off. And I was like, isn't he, is he going to get bothered out there? Is, and someone at Kiss Mini Golf said, he loves. And I go, really? Dude, this guy goes, one time Gene came here to Kiss Mini Golf, right? I go outside to greet him. He gets out of the limo, and there's a, a group of people about 50 feet away over here. Another group of people 50 feet away over here. He gets out, looks around. Nobody acknowledges him. And he goes, Hey, look, it's Gene Simmons from Kiss. Uh-huh. And everyone's like, Oh my God. And then he was like, Hi, how are you? Like, he did it himself. Boy, he that's did it himself. That reminds but, me of like, do you ever see that movie about Hogan's Heroes with Greg Kinnear where he goes into the bar? He's playing the guy from Hogan's Heroes and he goes into the bar and turns on Hogan's Heroes on the reruns. And he's like, you know, like he wants people to recognize who he is. Yeah. Yeah. I never saw that movie, but I, but it's, it is the same thing. And, and, that um, is funny. and by the way, from everything I'm hearing, this is a recent development for Gene over the last 20 years. His son comes to the comedy store and his son, uh, Nick, Nick will Simmons, tell me, right? yeah, Nick will, uh, has told me, you know, uh, if you would have started doing that impression, like even a few years earlier, my dad had no sense of humor back then. He would have literally looked for you just to beat the shit out of you. But, but like right when you started doing your impression, my dad started laughing at himself and making fun of himself and then did a TV show kind of making fun of himself. And he said, but so you showed up at the right time. And, um, he, um, uh, Nick himself, like his dad, uh, always has beautiful women with him. And he's at the comedy store one night with this girl. She had to have been 20 years old. And he goes, uh, oh, my God. He looks at me and he goes, this is, oh, this is Craig. Um, Craig. Craig does an impression of my dad. And, oh, Craig, Craig, do, do, um, do Christopher Walken for her. And I go, hold on. Do you know who Christopher Walken is? And this girl goes. No. And, I, and then Nick goes, oh, no, 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 you'll know. You'll know. Just, as soon as you hear the voice, you're going to know. Just, just do it. Just do it. Watch. He's going to freak out. And I went, listen, I don't even know if you know who this is. But what I try to do is I try to sound as weird as possible. And every once in a while, I say the word cowbell. Pow. And this girl went, good for you. And I went, Nick, you fucking asshole. Like, you just made me look like such an idiot. And Nick was like, I'm sorry, man. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. No, Nick's cool as shit. I love Nick. I just saw him at the show in Austin as well. Uh, Gene's whole family came out to the show in Austin a couple nights ago. Um, That's another reason to go to these shows because there could be some uh, familiar faces. It's like these are like star-studded events. Dude, everyone. Just I I can't say who. But at... All my shows in New York, at all of them, all, I'm doing four shows in New York. Yeah. There are huge bands coming to these shows. Huge, huge bands coming to every one of these shows. So yeah. uh, they want to come down. They want to hear the Kiss jokes. And yeah, I mean, and that's I just at my comedy show. Forget the, the concert and who's going to the concerts. Because right. yeah, in Austin, Texas... There was a bunch of I couldn't believe that when I saw George Lopez backstage, I was like, "What the fuck?" I saw guys from Disturbed backstage. Uh, Tom Segura, uh, the what, comedian, was there. Oh, oh, Tom, uh, oh, I'm thinking of Tom Araya. No, Tom Segura, the, the comedian. Segura, yeah. But oh, uh, Slayer. When you were in Arizona, I I remember like I was leaving, and I was like, "Hey, that's 
that's David Ellison from Megadeth. He was just like, oh, yeah. Parking mm-hmm. lot. Because you're friends with him. He ended up uh, doing my, are you still friends with him? Like he ended up doing oh, yeah. my show a couple of times. Like he got in a little bit of trouble, but he seems mm-hmm. to be bouncing back from that. Yeah. Ellison got in trouble and uh, um, uh, has gotten through it pretty gracefully. And, and thank God the girl that was, that um, was in that video um, came out and said, Hey, listen, this is, I'm the girl. This yeah. is what happened. Like she, she totally like said, you know, people are starting to like try to uh, frame this in a certain way that it's not. But Dave and his whole family have been amazing to me. Every year when I go home to see family in Arizona, I'm originally from New York, but my mom moved us to Arizona when I was a kid. And I still go back to Arizona every year to to visit for the holidays. And I always spend a little bit of time with Dave and his family as well. And um, and they're all great. His whole family is amazing. Um, and uh, got done dirty by Mustaine, yeah. which is unfortunately, you know, that. But yeah. That's well, then like, it it's weird. Cause like, he'll do these interviews and my buddy thinks that he's fucking with people when he does interviews. Cause blabbermouth will grab this headline that will be some sort of innuendo. And mm-hmm. they're like, is he, is he doing that on purpose? And I think, so when I had him on, I asked him, I was like, do you have a sense of humor about this? And like, <laughs> it was the longest pause I've ever had in an interview. It felt like, and then he's like, you gotta have a sense of humor. And I was like, okay, so. Yeah. Yeah. Dave, uh, he got some offers to, uh, to join a couple of bands. Oh really? And, uh, yeah. Right. Like when people knew that he was out, there were some big bands that, and there was one offer that would have been amazing. And, um, turned it uh, down. And he turned down. Yeah. He turned down a couple of them. Yeah. Cause he was just thinking, you know what, with everything that's going on, I should just work on myself, you know? And he, and he wanted to, um, um, get through this issue that had come out with that when that story came out. So, and I understood oh, it. So, that's uh, really cool. Yeah. Mm-hmm. What about um? Are you now? Are you are you still uh back on Howard Stern? I know you were back for a little bit. Mm-hmm. Are you still doing bits on there? I think in December they're going to have me on for a week. We're we're working out dates. I was supposed to sit in for a week last week, and it got postponed to December. So we're working out dates. But yeah, I'm I'm back on Howard's show and doing voices on his show and which is really fun. They give me homework assignments of voices to learn, which is awesome. That's yeah, all. That was it. cool. And I saw you at rock and pod. You're like, you're like, I got to go back and I got to get ready for this. I'm, I really want to take this seriously and, and work on it. And that's right. But- yeah. That was uh, at the beginning of this year, right? That was in yeah. March. And I remember I had to broadcast one day from my hotel room in Nashville. And then the next two days I was at a house in Connecticut. Um, and yeah, just wherever everybody's been broadcasting from home for the last three and a half years on that show since COVID um, with a couple of exceptions, Howard came in the studio to interview uh, uh, Bruce Springsteen, um, Keith Richards. Um, so he's been in a couple of times, but, uh, but yeah, he's, he was made for a pandemic cause he's always been such a germaphobe. So. Yeah. Well, so guy. is he, he's still afraid. Like, has he not gotten COVID? He hasn't like, cause once you get it, then you're kind of like, oh, okay. Like I've got the immunity or whatever. Not that I'm aware of. Uh, he still talks about on his show about how he's, you know, he gets in arguments now with his wife about doing stuff. And he's finally starting to get out of the house a little bit and and go out with people. But this is the same guy. There are people who have tried to claim that Howard has changed. He's always been that guy for decades. 
if Gary walks in and goes, hey, so I got a, um, <coughs> and he's like, was that a cough? What the, are you sick? The fuck? What are you doing here? If you sick? he's like, oh, I, I was just, I'm just clearing my throat. Just clearing. It's like, no, you're sick. And he, he'll freak. If he gets the sense that anyone is sick, he'll, he'll, he thinks it's very reckless. Like you're, you're going to get me sick and then I'm the show. So I understand it, you know, so he's, no, he's but he's always been an intense germaphobe. And so when the pandemic kicked in, it was like, all right, everybody go home. We're all going to go home. Just stay at home. And everybody, I, I travel with a mic kit that they sent me to travel oh. with. So anytime Howard wants me, I have a, um, a plugins uh, to be able to plug into some ethernet and just be able to uh, jump on whenever he needs me. So and I got my That's mic. Awesome. Kit ready that go. makes it more convenient. You don't have to fly to New York and do mm-hmm. all that shit. Hey, I did my first arena tour in Australia earlier this year, opening for Russell Peters. And I brought the mic kit all around Australia and New Zealand with me. And, and um, yeah, it's whenever he needs me, I'm ready to jump on. That's awesome. Didn't you say Russell Peters is a kiss fan? Is he coming to one of the shows? Not only is Russell Peters a kiss fan. I just posted this video on my Instagram. Russell show me dude. the song war machine was and i didn't know this i think my canadian friends have told me this i have some canadian friends that live in vegas brent fitz and uh todd kearns canadians and they and so anything canadian they know the trivia question and i think they told me this about brian adams brian adams wrote the song war machine by kiss and that's like my favorite kiss song i think i love that it's a great song russell peters i believe was hosting an award show in canada brian adams was one of the music guests and at some point, Brian Adams comes into Russell's dressing room or Russell comes into Brian's dressing room and, and Brian's got a guitar and he has Brian play War Machine and Russell does the vocals for it. And he sent me the video and I posted it on my Instagram. It's it's uh, at Craig Gas Comedy, two S's. Look near the top of the page and you'll see a video of Brian Adams, the actual writer of the song war machine playing war machine by while russell peters does the vocals for it and you'll also see some other weird stuff in there if you scroll through you'll see some um i always vaguely describe some of the pictures and you can just look and go what the fuck oh yeah no that's a good follow on uh, especially on facebook especially when you did like the 365 days of gratitude that was so that that should be like a book or something you you have these amazing stories and it's all about gratitude. So it's really positive. And I, I think that's such a great idea. I was turning 50 in 2020 and I just wanted to write 366 thank you notes to 366 people, places, or things that had a positive impact on my life. And obviously had no idea that a few months into that year, the whole world was going to fall to shit. And so in the middle of all this darkness that was happening around the world i'm uh once a day going hey let me tell you why i love chuck (laughs) (laughs) i'm writing these letters like oh man chuck uh it's a good friend and i i really admire his attitude and he's a good man and and i was doing 366 of those letters and yeah i I mean it, it kind of from people who helped me um along the way like howard and uh, George Carlin and and uh, my friend DC Collins in Tucson, who's a radio guy at, at the rock station KLPX in Tucson, um, to people who just by the way they live 
were an example to me. And then people who uh, suffered a lot were examples to me. A friend of mine who was murdered in, I had two friends who were murdered when I was growing up uh, in Tucson um, that I posted about and their experiences had an impact on my life, uh, made me more careful of uh, situations that I'm in. And then a buddy of mine in Scott uh, in Seattle, Scott McMahon, ended up being the individual who served the longest prison sentence in history without a trial. He was uh, accused of a crime in Thailand. Was it Thailand? Um, and stayed in prison for like five, six years without a trial. And then a bunch of uh, humanitarian organizations were like, he's getting railroaded. There's, there's no evidence. And, and he's being accused of doing something that happened in a city he wasn't even in. And, and a bunch of, I think it was John Kerry, a, bu- a bunch of like uh, top government people in the U.S. fought for his freedom and got him um, uh, out of prison and then eventually back in the United States again, where he's just a different person, you know? That's scary shit. Well, who was the guy? Um, I heard you just briefly mention this, like, because I uh, people who don't know, you've been sober for like, I don't know, 15 years or something. But there was somebody that that called you an asshole when you were uh, using or whatever. And you yeah. thanked them for that. That that helped turn things around for you. Yeah, I, I love it when people are blunt with me. And it was my friend <laughs> Steve Miggs. Yeah, man, uh, I needed oh, to hear from it. 99.9. 99.9 KISW. He he. um I was, um, I had really fucked up on something that I was supposed to be a part of and I partied really hard and just didn't show up and I'm like, Hey, sorry, man, I'm, I'm sick. And the circumstances were really bad. They had paid for me to go there and, and Steve called me up and said, Hey dude, uh, I just want to tell you, this isn't cool. This isn't how you treat your friends and you're being an asshole and it's not cool. You don't treat people like this. It's really shitty how you're treating us. And I, I don't really appreciate it, man. I don't, I don't, I don't expect this kind of treatment from a friend. And I was like, I couldn't even hide. I was like, God, you're right. You know? And I, uh, yeah, man, when I'm wrong, uh, it's, it's, it's a very healthy thing to say I'm wrong. Yeah, no, I agree. I, I'm not from the East coast. I'm from Seattle, but, God, I feel like that's one thing I appreciate about people from the East Coast is when they are more direct. I like that. I hate to bring this up, but it is true. This just happened five days ago. I texted Paul Stanley and said, <laughs> um, hey, buddy. And then that was the first text. Hey, buddy. And then I'm typing out the rest of them. And then, hey, buddy, got an immediate hi. And I was like. I'm texting and I said, Hey, two things. Number one, I'm doing a comedy show in Austin. The whole show is about kiss. I'm just doing all the jokes for an hour, just doing jokes about kiss and all my run-ins that I've had with kiss. It's basically what I do on the kiss cruise. I'm going to do the show in Austin. And I know that you have a day off. And if you want to swing by, um, I'll, you know, come outside. I'd love to have you if you'd like to go question mark. And number two, um, who should I talk to about getting passes for a Sunday show? He wrote me back and said, number one, uh, can't make it to the show. I'm going to be in Dallas, Texas. 
And number two, isn't it more appropriate to ask if it's okay to go instead of assuming and just asking who you need to talk to to get sorted out for the show? And I went, you're right. I was wrong. I am sorry. My apologies. Can I go to the show? And he said, of course. And I was like, God damn. Was he just fucking with you, you think? No, it was, he was 100% right. He was 100% right. And I was 100% wrong. I was like, hey, who should I, who should I talk to about getting, he's like, who's he talking to? He's like, do you want, and he said himself, he said, I never ask, I never assume, I always ask. And he was right. Yeah. I was assuming. Yeah. And I said, holy shit. I saw his son before the show in Austin because his son has this great rock band that's opening for Kiss on these farewell dates. And when I saw him, I said, hey, dude, I got to tell you something your dad did to me. <laughs> and he goes, oh, that sounds like my dad. He, Paul Stanley is a great dad. He, he's a really good dad. And it's because of moments like that that – you know, hey man, be polite. And it's like, God, you know what? You're you're right. I am. So I li- yeah, I would appreciate that because I'm kind of an idiot sometimes, and I feel like I sometimes will do the wrong thing or I get caught up in the moment, and then I just like regret. I feel guilty. I feel so bad. I'm like, I wish people would just call me out on my bullshit. I love it when people call me out on my bullshit. So when my friend Steve told me I was being an asshole, and I knew that it came down to my drug addiction which was killing me. It was, it wasn't only killing me. It was also uh, bringing out sides of me that uh, were embarrassing and was, you know, getting in the way of having uh, healthy relationships. And um, in December, I'll be sober for 19 years. And that's 19 years of borrowed time because I had a heart attack 21 years ago. So, uh, So it's all it's all borrowed time, and I'm grateful to be here and and uh, and have these moments that I've been able to have since I was able to care about myself enough to do something about it. And that's what you have to do. You have to really care about yourself to do something about it. So yeah. So to bring it back to Kiss, if I can, like, do you think that's part of the reason with Ace and Peter why they can't be back in the band anymore? Because Paul and Gene just are kind of fed up with their bullshit. I've known a lot of people like that are in these situations that have been in really successful bands where they, their, their drug addiction got them kicked out of the band. Yeah. And, and, and from their point of view, I'm not talking about Ace and Peter. I'm just talking about other people I know who have been in really big bands who got kicked out for uh, for addictions, uh, substance abuse, alcoholism, and they'll tell me, you know, man, they they're such dicks to me. They're such assholes to me. You don't even know how fucking uh, anal retentive they are with me. And it's like, yeah, but you're the one that er- that that slowed everyone down with your shit. And it's like, if you've ever, you know, if you have a parent whose addictions or alcoholism like really affected your life it's hard to forgive that person you know it's it's hard to just be like all right cool because and you want to forgive them and then they fuck up again and you're like you know what you're still the same person 
fuck you. You know, there's a lot of hard feelings that come out of that. And um, although um, over time, I've learned that uh, from my own issues that um, people are flawed and um, people are just are, are human and people make mistakes and um, and people try to do the best they can. And when they're trapped in an addiction, they cannot they want to change. And it's really, really hard to do. Most people don't. Most people who have a serious addictions don't have the humility that it takes to say something's wrong with me. I have a problem. And that's that's what I have found to be the difference between life and death is just admitting I have a problem and doing something about it. So, man, this conversation is going everywhere, Chuck. Jesus. I love it. Yeah, it's great. No, I just find like for myself, I mean, I don't, I never like, I don't, I don't think I'm like addicted or whatever, but I know it's like when I go through my fate, when I've gone through phases of like drinking a lot and partying a lot, I was more focused on myself. And then when I was, when that wasn't my focus, like, of you know, getting drunk or whatever, it was like, I'm trying to more focus and just in general in life, I feel like I'm trying to more focus on like, trying. what can I do to help other people? Like, instead mm-hmm. of like, how do I make a lot my life better? and help myself. What can I do to help other people? I don't know. That's yeah. just my own mindset that I, and I think you have a little bit of that too, at least. Cause I know you helped me with my doing my podcast when I was like eight episodes in or whatever. Yeah. I also want to point out just to bring it back to the whole thing I'm talking about here, which is that I'm doing these kiss themed comedy shows in yeah. Seattle and New York at those shows, we will be doing uh, drink specials uh, uh, um for uh, kiss shots uh, with drink specials, and we're going to do twenty dollars uh, Ace Freely cocaine bumps. We're going to have uh, Peter Chris anger management classes. Um, we're no, sorry, That's sorry, great. that was that was bad. No, those shows sound amazing. I God, I almost want to like. When's the last one? Is it New York? I almost New York City. Fly. It's in New York. So that's at Comic Strip Live or the shows. Mm-hmm. Yep, Comic Strip Live. Well, in mm-hmm. Seattle, it's at a place called uh, Com- Capitol, Capitol Hill, Hill Comedy, Bar. Comedy Bar. I'm on your website yeah. right now. Yeah. Capitol Ho- Comedy Bar, which used to be the High Line, uh, which was a heavy metal club. It was a heavy metal bar. It was a vegan heavy metal bar. Oh. And if you've ever done cocaine in Seattle, you know where the High Line is. It's uh, right off of Broadway, and uh, uh, that is on Sunday, November 5th, and then at the very end of it all, when KISS wraps it up, w- there are going to be KISS fans from all over the world at the comic strip for those last shows, November 30th, December 3rd, and these this tickets are already selling really well, and, uh, and I already have a bunch of musicians who have put their names on the seats that are coming out. I, I'm I'm excited, man. This is going to be amazing. That's going to be awesome. Well, if I can't make it, hopefully you'll you'll come back and do shows in Arizona down here at some point. And uh, let yes, me- sometime in 2024, I will definitely be back in Phoenix for sure. Okay, cool. Thanks for so much for doing this, Craig. Anything else you want to promote? Uh, no, I just want to say thank you and uh, all the tickets for everything. We haven't even mentioned this. It's at getgas.com. Yeah, Get I'll gas. put your website in the show notes so people just oh, sweet. Google. They can just click a button and it's right there. All right, sweet. Go out there, or if you look at the Instagram page, you'll see all the funny shit from the Instagram page. And I'll see you soon. Okay, thanks, Craig. Thank you. All right, see ya. Thank you for taking the time to listen to the full podcast episode. 
Please help support our guests by following them on social media and purchasing their products, whether it be a book, album, film, or other thing. And if you have a few extra dollars, please consider donating it to their favorite charity. If you want to support the show, you can like, share, and comment on this episode on social media and YouTube. And if you want to go the extra mile, you can give us a rating or review on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or Google Podcasts. Finally, make sure you're subscribed to the show on YouTube for the video versions and other exclusive content. We appreciate your support. Have a great rest of your day and shoot for the moon.